Well, amen. Thank you, Miss Denise. What a beautiful song. And it's great to think about heaven, isn't it? And, uh, man, I hope you in your heart not only want to go, but I trust that you know the Lord is your Savior and you know you are going. Amen. That's the most important thing. Had a man ask me one time, can anybody know that for sure? And I said, absolutely. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know. Right? God wants us to know that. And he gave us, he died on the cross so we could have a no-so salvation. You can know you're going to heaven. That's why Jesus died on the cross and that's why God gave us the Bible so that we could know and learn these things and have that assurance and the confidence that we need uh, to know where our eternal home is. And you know, I was thinking about it as she was singing that song. You know, sometimes we think about the Lord and we think about heaven, but we still have to live down here, don't we? (laughs) And there's a saying some people use that sometimes we as Christians, we can get so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Well, that doesn't need to happen. When I first heard that, I thought, man, that is that, wow, can that, is that possible? Because, you know, if we're really, if we have the, the mind of the Lord, well, think about Jesus when he was here. He certainly was a lot of earthly good, but he was very heavenly minded also. And that's really how we should be. We should be so heavenly minded that we're full of earthly good. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good. And he was our example. He was our pattern. And so this morning we're going to talk about how to connect those two. How to be heavenly minded so that you are earthly good. Right? So take your Bibles if you would and let's open the word of God together to Titus. Titus chapter 1. Titus is right before the book of Philemon and then Hebrews and James. Right there in your New Testament toward the end. Right after First and Second Timothy. Titus chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 9 through 16 there in just a moment and get right into our message. So if you found your place, Titus chapter 1, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll have prayer and then we'll begin reading right there in verse number 9. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love your word today and how we look forward to learning and growing personally. As we apply these things, so Lord, we pray you'd be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to our hearts individually and personally from your word today. Lord, be our teacher and guide. Point out the truth. Lord, show us how it fits into our lives. Help us to be so heavenly minded today that we are full of earthly good because of what we'll learn. Help us show us how to apply truth to everyday life, how to, how to put it on and walk it out in shoe leather. Lord, so that it's present and visible with us each day. Lord, we want to live in such a way that our life is a praise to God. And we pray you'd help us learn how to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 9, Titus chapter 1, the Bible says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers, Excuse me, yes, and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables 
and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Thank you so much. You may be seated. This morning, I want to preach a message from this text entitled, How to Live for the Lord at Work. How to Live for the Lord at Work. Or you could call it convincing the gainsayers, right? That's what he talked about here. Having those gainsayers in verse 9. So what is a gainsayer? A gainsayer is somebody who contradicts or opposes your point of view. All right, so how do, you, how do you convict those out in the world who gainsay against the gospel and against the word of God? We're going to talk about that because, you know, we, we need to be full of earthly good, and that good needs to shine through our everyday lives. We don't just need to be Christians on Sunday morning in church. This is the easiest place in the world to be a Christian. But, you know, we need to take our Christianity to work with us on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, all throughout the week. Yeah, when we ha- conduct our business and our affairs, when we make our decisions, as we live our lives, our faith should permeate all of those things. Our faith should guide and direct our thoughts and decisions, our conclusions, our commitments. We need to live for the Lord even at work. Amen? That's the way the Bible teaches New Testament Christianity should look. The Bible says that for Christians, when we go to, when we go to the job... And even if, and by the way, even if you're self-employed, the Bible says our real boss is not whoever that person is that we answer to. But as a believer, our real boss is Jesus. Because the Bible says that we should do everything that we do to the glory of God. The Bible says we should do our work as unto the Lord and not unto men. So what does that mean? It means that we do every task as if Jesus himself asked us to do it. And we were doing it for him. Now, if you were doing it for him, how would that look? What would the end result be? You know, that's how we shine as lights in the world. That's how, that's how believers conduct themselves in the marketplace, in the business world. That's what a Christian businessman, a Christian lawyer, a Christian secretary, a Christian carpenter, that's what, that's what a Christian looks like. They do what they do for Jesus. And the outcome bears witness of that. The quality is there to back that up because we love God and we do it for him. So notice what Paul is teaching Timothy. He's teaching him how to live a life that shows the faith and that proclaims the Lord in the secular world. How do you do that? Well, there's a couple of things you might want to write down. Number one, if you want to live for the Lord at work, number one, live a holy life. Live a holy life. Did you know a Christian life is a holy life? The Bible says that we're called to holiness. I, I don't have time to go to all the verses pertaining to that. It really would be a separate Bible study on its own, but, I, but I'll give you the assignment to do that. Look it up. Hey, by the way, did you know Did you know you could use your cell phone as a concordance? You know, it used to be that we had to get out this big book, like I mean bigger than a dictionary, and, and we had to go through that thing to find verses about different topics. Hey, but now you can go to your, uh, you can go to your uh, browser and you can type in a word like holiness, and you you need to know this because everything's on the internet, right? So, so uh, you need to know this, that when you're typing it in, it helps if you type in KJV, right? Because that's the Bible we use, the King James, and that way it'll pull it up in the King James for you and you can go right to it. If you remember part of a verse, but not all of it, 
you can remember, you can type in the phrase. Now, the reason you type in KJV is because that phrase won't be worded the same in another version, and you won't be able to find the verse. It'll come up, you know, empty unless it does pull it up automatically. Uh, sometimes it will, and sometimes it won't. So those are just some helpful tools for you. You can, you can learn your Bible a little quicker and a little better just by using that tool. Uh, that's one of those examples where technology can certainly be helpful. And by the way, if people can use technology in a wrong way, why can't we use it in a good way? Technology is like a rake or a wagon or, you know, any kind of tool. It's, it's like a saw. Is it good or is it bad? Well, it's neither. It's, the tool is neutral. How you use it determines whether it's good or bad. You're going to use it to build something or you're going to use it to tear something down, right? And so, you know, let's use the technology that we have for good and for God. I think the Apostle Paul would do that. Can you imagine if they had airplanes when Paul was alive and trying to preach the gospel to the known world at his time? He walked everywhere he went. He went on, he went on ships. And by the way, that's why he said I was shipwrecked. What did he say? Three times. He spent a night and a day and a night in the deep, stranded, you know, floating through, through the water. Uh, man, he wouldn't have had to do all that if he could just get on an airplane, right? And so I think if, if those technologies were available in his day, I think he would have used them. I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul having access to the Internet? I'm telling you, there would have been an ApostlePaul.com or something. He would have been preaching the gospel on the Internet. Amen? Isn't that a good thought? That's encouraging, isn't it? And so we, too, ought to use those tools uh, for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel, uh, just like Paul, I believe, would have done. So what does all that mean? It means that, you know, we need to live the life that accompanies our faith. You see, here's what's really important, and here's what we have to understand. Look at verse 16. The Bible says about some of these people here, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Did you know it's possible to do that? Did you know, I underlined the word no, and then I underlined the word works. And this verse is teaching us that there's two parts to who we are, what we know and what we do. And this verse is also teaching us something else, that those two are not always the same. They can be very different. Did you know a lot of Christians are living a virtual Christian life? You know what virtual is, right? If you're a video gamer, you know what that means. Virtual reality means that it's almost like the real thing, which means that it's not real. And there's a lot of Christians that are living a, a Christian life that's almost real, <laughs> right? And how does that happen? I'm going to tell you how it happens. It happens when we judge ourselves by our intentions because we know some stuff. But then we judge other people by their actions because we don't know what their intentions are. All we know is what they do. That's what we see. Well, did you know that should be turned around also because other people don't know what your intentions are. They only know what your actions are. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do your actions, do they line up with your intentions? Are they one and the same? What you say and what you do, are they one and the same? Because, you know, so often it's so easy for us to have a set of intentions that we never act on. And when that happens, we become guilty of living that virtual reality kind of life, too. 
that virtual Christianity stuff. We've got to be careful about that. Make sure that they are together. How do you do that? Well, you live a holy life. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. He's not just talking about remembering it. He's talking about using it, living it. Um, and I already explained verse 16, how that fits into that. Look at the next chapter, Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Notice verse 8. Sound in speech that cannot be condemned. What does that mean? That means the things that you know are the things that you speak. What you say lines up with what you believe. The way we talk doesn't go contrary to the faith that we say we claim. In other words, you say you're a Christian, do you talk like a Christian? I mean, that's, that's putting the cookies down there on the bottom shelf where we can all get to them, right? Do we talk like a Christian? Do we live like a Christian? Is our life that pattern of good works that he talked about in verse 7? You know what that means if your life is a pattern? You know what, you know what Paul's really saying? He's saying, look, you, you need to be the example that other people model their life after, right? Hey, have you ever heard that saying that says you're the only Bible some people will ever read? What that means is they, they, they may not take the time to read the Bible. They may not understand the Bible, but they're going to look at a Christian. And in their mind, that's what's going to equal. They're going to they're think, well, that's how I should live as a Christian. That's what the Christian life looks like when they look at you. So is that true? Are we being that kind of example? We should be. That's what the Bible says. Notice in uh, Titus chapter 3, look at verse 14. Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, or Titus, excuse me, he said, Let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. He's saying, let our disciples, let, our, let our, the people that follow us in the faith, let them learn to maintain good works in their life. In other words, to live in the same way that they say they believe, so that your faith comes out in your everyday life. Right? That's how you live for the Lord. Live a holy life. Did you know that a holy life makes God's message? A holy life makes the word of God attractive to others. It's those good qualities. It's that good example that makes people see that we're different. There's something different about you, they should say. What is it? It's the Lord. If you see anything good in, in me this morning, it's not really me. It's Jesus in me. Jesus put the good there. He taught me to do those good things. It's by the word of God that I've learned and grown and, and began to do them. So we need to give God credit. In Titus chapter 2, look at verse 10. The Bible says, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. What does that mean? It means that we're faithful to what we've been taught. It means we live out what we've learned in the faith. That word fidelity, we're living out what we've learned in Jesus. He said, why should we do that? Verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does the word adorn mean? It means to put it on. It means to wear it. How do you wear the doctrine of God? By living what you say you believe. If you say it's wrong to gossip, well, then don't go around gossiping. 
Don't go around listening to all the juicy gossip because you're not adorning the doctrine of God when you do that. Your say and do aren't lining up. You're not living out what you've learned when your practice is not the same thing as what you preach. And by the way, you know, sometimes we miss a little stuff like that, but don't you think for a minute that unbelievers are going to miss it. They're watching everything you do as a Christian. They're trying to understand all this. They're trying to figure it out. It looks a little weird to them, a little different. They can't explain it. They can't understand it. And so they're studying us. And you know what? The first time we don't do what we say, man, they know that. They see it. And so we've got to be careful. We have to remind them from occasion, you know, hey, I'm I'm human too. I'm not perfect. That was Jesus. Right? But we've got to be trying. They've got to see the effort to know that we're real. And that's what they're looking for. Holy lives make God's message attractive. Number two, holy lives keep God's teaching from slander. I hate to tell you this this morning, but you know why there's some people who aren't in the faith? You know why there's some people who are not believers? You know why there's some people who aren't saved? They're not going to heaven because they refuse to come to Jesus to receive a pardon for their sins. And you know why they refuse that? Because of the lousy example that some Christians have set for them. Because they have seen and experienced in a negative way the life of someone who was a believer or claimed to be a believer. And because of the effect, the negative effect it had on them, they've turned away from the faith and they say, I don't want nothing to do with that. And here's why. Because the world judges God by what they see in us. So they look at our lifestyle. They look at what our practice. They look at what we do, what we say. And they make a determination about our God based on that. And you know what? That's what should motivate us to want to do right and to want to be better and to want to grow and, and to want to live out what we've learned. Because we should love our Savior enough to say, I want to be an example of who He is so that other people can see how good God is and come to Him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're talking about keeping God's word from slander by the life we live. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3 says, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now Paul was a preacher, so he's, he's using that analogy What he's really saying there is, he's saying that what I do can cause people to throw mud at the ministry and the name of the Lord. But, you know, that's not just only true of preachers. That's true of Christians. Right? You can can say here that the faith be not blamed. You can say that the Lord be not blamed. You can say that God's word be not blamed. Because, you know, that's what happens when Christians don't live out their faith. We can live in such a way that, that lost people, those who, who are looking on, they look at that. And you know, when, when, we, when we hurt people, when we lash out, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, then sometimes they come to the conclusion that God is no good. The Bible's no good. Church is no good. Why? Because we were no good. 
And they pass on that conclusion to the Lord and his work. I don't know about you, but I would never want to be the cause of somebody coming to the conclusion that God is no good or church is no good. Would you? Holy lives keep God's teachings from slander. Now, we were in the book of Titus. Let's go back there and look at chapter 2, verse 7. We'll look at that again. This is very similar to what Paul taught Timothy. He taught Timothy to let no man despise thy youth, 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, but be thou an example of the believers. Now, in verse, in verse 7, Titus 2.7, he said to Titus, he said, in all things, showing thyself what? Who's got it? Can you read that word? A pattern. What is a pattern? A pattern is something you copy, right? Ladies that sew, you know what that is. You fold it out and you put it on the material and you, and you use that pattern right there to, to cut out the piece that you're going to be sewing. You transfer that pattern onto the material. So in life, this is a social exercise where we live out our faith. Why? So that other people can see that and copy Oh, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what it looks like, right? To how we talk and how we act and how we conduct our affairs. You know, people need to see examples of that in real life so they can understand. Oh, okay, that's what God meant when he said do this. That's what the Bible's talking about in that passage. Yes, they, they see it lived out in real life and it becomes an example to them. And the Bible says that you and I should be that example. We're, we're supposed to be the pattern. You know, sometimes you look at people and you say, you know, they, they should know better. Why? Why should they know better? The only time you should ever say that is because they've had an example of it in front of them. So who's the example? If they've never had an example of it, then how, how, why do you expect them to know better? God has called us to be that example so they can know, so they can see how it should be. Live a holy life at work. Hey, that's, that's how you prevent being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You live what you know. And you do it in a way that's, that others can copy. Become a pattern. Be the example for others. Number two. Are you ready? Got your seatbelt on? You know, if you thought that one was hard, you're really gonna you're really gonna get a jolt on this one. How do you live? How do you live for the Lord at work? Number two, obey your boss. Ooh, you say, man, preacher, you had to say that. Yeah, you have to say that. Why? Because the Bible says that. Obey your boss at work. Look at chapter two, uh, Titus chapter two. Look at verse nine. Notice the Bible says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Not to all masters, to your own. Obey your boss. Because God is not teaching that we're subservient creatures. God doesn't want you to be a doormat, but he does want you to be an obedient employee. Right? Be obedient to your own master. There's a good Bible principle here that we should acknowledge. Now, I understand somebody said there's an exception to every rule. I I get it. And I know in the world in which we live, a Bible-believing Christian, we, we can't listen to everything. We can't believe everything the world says. We can't get along with everything they do. And we can't obey everything. There are times, I get it, there are times 
when we have to push back a little. There's times when we have to make a request like Daniel made an appeal. Hey, look, my faith requires this. Can I do something different? And we should be ready to do that. But the majority of the time, especially when it comes to just carrying out the the responsibilities that are given to us, the majority of the time, we should just be obedient employees. Let's get the obedient part down, and then we can deal with those exceptions to the rule. Then we can deal with those times when we need to go off script a little bit and, and make an appeal. We, by the way, we did talk about that a few weeks ago on Wednesday night in our, in our Christian character study, and we were talking about Daniel. Daniel is a great example of that. There's a time to take a stand. There's a time to speak up. By the way, and there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And we need to know the right way before we do it. Daniel gave us a good example of that. So in the meantime, obey your boss at work. What does the Bible say about that? Look at verse 9 in our text. Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, all right, that he may be able to convince the gainsayers. So you being faithful to God is one of the ways that you silence the critics. I'm talking about people that are critical of the faith. Okay? Holding fast the word of God. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says in this area, be obedient to your boss. So this is one of the ways that we put to silence. Another scripture says, putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do we do that? By by living the truth, by doing what's right. Okay? And so the Bible teaches us here that it's it's right to uh, obey our authority. Look at verse 9 in chapter 2. We read part of that. We didn't read the whole verse. But look what it says. Exhorting servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Watch this. Not answering again. Can anybody tell me what that means? In, there you go. That's what I was looking for. I was going to say in, in plain uh, southern English. Not talking back, right? Back talking. Now, how many of us have told our kids, don't back talk, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've done that, especially if you've got teenagers. Okay, well, guess what? Then let's not go to work and do the same thing. Back talk our boss. I'm not talking about when they ask you to do something that might contradict your faith. Again, that's the exception to the rule. That's another sermon. But let's get this obedience thing down. Let's make sure that we are not guilty of answering again, always talking back, right? Be in the ratchet mouth in the break room. That shouldn't be a Bible believer. We shouldn't do that. The Bible says not answering again. So there's some good things in this verse. It says to please them well in all things. That's a Christian responsibility, not just obey your boss, please them well. Man, we need to learn how to do that. We need to make sure we're doing that. They ask us to do something that's a legitimate responsibility. We may not like it. You might think it's their job. But if you're under them and they ask you to do it, you should do it without talking back and and please them when you do it. Do it well. That's what it means. Please them well. What does it mean? It means do a good job. Do a job that they like, they're proud of. Remember, you're not really doing it for them. What does the Bible say about us? That we're to do all things as unto the Lord and not to men. That's Colossians chapter 3. 
So if you're really doing it for the Lord and not for this guy, guess what? Then we're to do a good job. We're to do it well. And by the way, if you do it so that it pleases God, then certainly it ought to please your boss. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, let's turn there, because sometimes we, we think, well, I don't have to obey him. He's a jerk. He's not nice. Well, you know, that may be true. And did you know if he's not nice, God wants to work on him or her? And God wants to convict them and deal with their heart? But guess what? First, God wants to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do so that through that he can convict them and he can deal with them. But guess what? God has a pattern too. God always comes to the person who's under authority and gets them in line, and then he deals with the authority. Every passage in the Bible is like that. Hey, did you know that God tells wives to submit to their husbands before he says, husbands, love your wives? What does God do? He gets the follower in line first, then he deals with the leader. Did you know the Bible says first, children, obey your parents? Then it says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Oh. You know why? It's hard for God to get the leader's attention when the followers aren't in line. So when we're doing what we're supposed to do, God can work and God can get a hold of their heart. God can do what he needs to do, and he will. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 18. The Bible says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. You know what God's saying? You, you, obey them anyway. Even if they're not nice, they don't have a good attitude. Obey them anyway. I know. That's hard. That's hard stuff right there. Hey, all those people that said Christianity's for wimps, they ain't never read that. They don't even know that's in the Bible. That's hard. I don't even hear an amen. Some of y'all might not have a boss like that, but I've had some in my time. I'm telling you, that's tough stuff right there. <laughs> oh, that's when the rubber gets stuck to the road. Boy, it's hard to move forward past that. But God called you to this. You're a believer. And you're trying to do everything you do to the glory of God. So if you're going to continue to glorify God, then you've got to learn how to obey those who aren't even worthy of your fellowship. Now, if you can't take their leadership, fine. Find you another job and a better leader and go work for them. But until you go work for them, obey your boss at work. Right? That will glorify God, and God can use that to get a hold of your boss's heart. I had a boss that was really hard to deal with one time. He wasn't mean. He was just cold. He was just... Not sociable. He, he, he didn't smile at you. He wasn't nice. I didn't really understand. Nobody understood him. Everybody talked behind his back. He did some weird stuff. I got moved into his department. He became my boss. Oh, brother. Oh, I obeyed him. I didn't have a problem with that. Until I came home from work one day, and my little daughter at that time, I don't know, she was probably four or five, I saw her coloring a picture. I said, what are you doing, sweetheart? She said, I'm coloring a picture. 
She finished it up and she said, here, give this to your boss. I thought, what? Oh, I didn't want to do that. Everything in me didn't want to do that. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But then it's like the Lord, you ever, you ever had the Lord just start talking to you on the inside? And I thought, well, you know, how did she get a good impression of my boss? You, you obviously never met this guy. I thought, you know, she only knows what I say. I first thought, well, it's a good thing I hadn't been coming home saying stuff about him because she wouldn't be thinking this way. First of all, I thought, well, praise the Lord. You know, I passed that test. But now I got to go give this to him. That was a hard thing for me to do. But you know, I said, okay, I guess God's at work. So the next morning, guess what I took into his office? Good morning, I said, called his name. Hey, I got something for you. My daughter colored this for you yesterday. Put it on his desk. Man, you know, he picked that up and smiled. I mean, a big old smile. He said, thank you. I said, you're welcome. Have a good day. Walked out. I thought, well, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) Right? God was using that. God was working. Hey, do you know later, a good while later, do you know that same guy? offered to promote me and send me to school for all the training I needed and pay me while I was at school. Whoa. God's good, isn't he? You know, when we do what God says, he knows what he's doing. God was trying to provide for me and my family. God was working on this boss and and God was doing way more than what I could see. My challenge was just to do what God wanted me to do. And when I did, the the picture was becoming complete and God was able to put things together, not just in my life, but in his life and other people as well. Hey, we just need to realize that our God, he's not only good, he's God. He's in control and he's doing things you don't even know nothing about. You're just a small spoke in the wheel and make sure you do your part because God's got a lot of other things going on. And if you want to see the good outcome that he's working toward, you got to do your part. Right? And I don't want to miss out on the blessing. When the good thing finally comes together, you know what? It is, it does feel good to say, hey, I was I was part of that. God used me to, to be part of that. Amen. Number three, right alongside of obeying your boss, this almost seems repetitive, but submit to authority. Titus chapter 3 1 says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. The Bible doesn't say that women are subservient to men. The Bible says, obey your husband. Why? Because God has an authority structure in the home. And for some reason, God chose to make man the head of the house. And I'm going to tell you what. Ask most men. We didn't ask for that job. So when you submit to your husband, you ain't doing it for him. Because if he had a choice... He would probably gladly give you that job. Oh, you want to be responsible here. Right? (laughs) This isn't in my notes, but I had a lady come talk to me one time. She said she couldn't get her husband to do stuff around the house, like take out the trash and, you know. I said, well, tell me about it. So she started telling me. She would ask her husband to take out the trash, and he didn't do it. So then she bagged it up. She'd ask him to take out the trash, and he didn't do it. So then she would set it out by the, you know, counter. You know, she's just thinking, well, he's got a trip over it and he might do it, you know. Then she'd ask him to take out the trash, he wouldn't do it, then she'd take it out. 
I said, it sounds to me like he ain't had time to even think about it yet. And you've already done it. Yeah, and he's sitting over there in the recliner watching football. I said, well, guess what? He's probably waiting for a commercial. You ever heard of those? I said, that's the time when you get up and go do stuff like that. I said, let me just give you a piece of advice. As long as you keep doing it for him, he's going to let you do it. <laughs> so I said, if you, if you want things to change, you've got to let go. You've got to say, honey, would you let, take out the trash? And then leave it right there where it is. Don't touch it after that. Don't touch it. Let him do it. You've got to give him enough time. I said, you're not, you're not even giving enough time. And that was her problem. What does all that mean? It means he's going to let you. If you're going to take off, he's going to let you do it. Right? Now, that's not the way it should be. That's the carnal nature of fallen man. I get it. Right? But none of us are perfect. We all struggle with the flesh. And uh, there's two sides to this coin when you're talking about the Christian life. There's the flesh and the spirit. And each one of us have to decide which one are we going to listen to. And we have to do that every single moment of the day. Who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the flesh? Am I going to do what feels good? Or am I going to do what's right? Am I going to listen to the spirit? You choose. We know if you take the path of the flesh, we know where that leads. The Bible says to be carnally minded is death. The flesh always leads to destruction. Right? Guess what? You're lazy. You don't go to work. You're not going to have nothing. Right? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because being spiritually minded leads to production, at least to doing what's right, right? And being accountable and responsible. All the good things. God knew how we were wired. Romans chapter 13, go check it out. You know, the Bible says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. What higher powers? He's talking about those that have authority over you. We all have authorities over us. We all have authorities over us. Know who your authorities are and submit to them. You know what submission is? Submission is, you ready? It's voluntary. Nobody should have to make you obey. No, you submit. Submitting means you place yourself under them. That's why it's two, wor- two parts to that word, sub-middle, right? You, you place yourself, you willingly, voluntarily place yourself under their authority. You know, if you understand the Bible teaching about authority, then guess what? You understand there's a release in that. If you are under them, if you are under their response, guess what that means? It means they're responsible for what happens. Read Hebrews chapter 13. Guess what? One day they're going to answer to God for their leadership responsibility and everything it produced or didn't produce. All the consequences of their actions and decisions, they are going to answer to God for that. And you don't have to. All you're going to answer to God for is, well, I obeyed. I did what they said. Think about that. That's pretty awesome. That's powerful. When the follower is in line, then God can deal with the leader. Right? And he will. Number four, if you want to live for God at work, speak evil of no man. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 2. The Bible says... um, Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. All right? Guess what? We have a critical spirit. You're contradicting that verse. Go around finding fault with everything and everybody. Listen, that's not God's way. 
Somebody said to me one time, you know, the way to criticize people is go do it the right way. Not all this. So if you, if you know how to do it, go do it. You don't need to run down everybody else that's doing it. Somebody said, where were you? <laughs> right? You don't like the way we did it? Where were you when we were doing it? Don't have a critical spirit. You know, by the way, that's, that's like inner poison. You know, that's a condition to have a critical spirit. That's not godly. Don't let that be you. And then another thing that contradicts this is negative talk. And by the way, that starts with negative thoughts, negative thinking. Some people are negative toward themselves. They're down on their self and they're down on everybody. And you know what? That's not the way to be as a believer. You need to fix that. Paul talked about bringing your thoughts into captivity and submitting them to Christ. And you know what? We have to do that. We can't just allow our thoughts to run rampant. We can't give our thoughts total freedom. We can't dwell on certain things. The Bible says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And there's certain things that we need to allow our mind to think about, and there's some things we don't need to allow our mind to think about. We've got to be in charge of that. That's what the Bible says. So if we're going to live for the Lord, we've got to take responsibility. We've got to take charge of that. Let me give you the last one. Very important point right here. If you're going to live for the Lord at work, don't argue about doctrine with people of other faiths or other denominations. All you're going to do is create a bad testimony. Hey, guess what? We have a lost world that's looking on, and they don't know the difference between us and the church down the road. Whatever name is on their sign, they don't, they don't know. They just kind of lump all churches in the same bowl. They just think we're all the same. So people who are not in the faith, people who don't know the Lord, they've never read the Bible they think they know what it says. They'll say foolish things. And they'll say, oh yeah, it says in the Bible somewhere. And then they'll repeat some saying they've heard all their life. And that's hard because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to show people where, where it isn't found in the Bible. You know, <laughs> look, man, have you ever read the whole Bible? They'll probably say no. But I've read it cover to cover several times and that, that ain't in there. How do you show them it's not in there? The only way to do that is to read the whole thing to them, and you don't have time for that. You could just tell them it's not in there. They generally don't believe that. But you know what stands out? When we go to work and there's someone who believes a little differently than we do about something, just pass over that. Don't get in an argument about that. You know, we believe salvation is through faith. It's by the grace of God. There's not any works connected to it. There's nothing I can do to save myself. But you know, some churches teach that salvation comes through a long life of good works. Those people generally never know if they ever made it or not. They're always something else they feel like you've got to do. That's, that's where that teaching leads. It gives a lack of confidence and a lack of assurance to their life. They never know for sure. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I know that. You know that. But when we go to work and someone who talks from that kind of a teaching and they, maybe they attend a church like that, that's not the place to argue with them and set the record straight. We can't do that. You know why? Because the person who's listening across the lunchroom who doesn't go to church at all, they don't know the Lord, they're going to listen to these two Christians fighting, arguing about the Bible, 
And you know what they're going to they're gonna walk out of that lunchroom saying? I don't want nothing to do with any of that. Those who overhear doctrinal arguments usually reject both sides. The faith side and the work side. They're going to say, y'all ain't no better than I am. My family argues like that too. Right? So we just need to be discreet about those kind of things. My daughter was in a conversation at school. They were talking about knowing for sure you're going to heaven. And my daughter was like, oh, man, you don't know about you know, salvation. You don't know about heaven. You don't know about the rapture and some end times. They were talking about that. My daughter was talking to another Christian. And this girl, this girl that was asking questions said, no, I don't know about that. My daughter was like, wow, you need to come to church then you know, and learn about some of this. The other girl spoke up you know, and said, yeah, you got you to gotta be good and you got to you know, do this and that and the other. And my daughter wisely didn't get in an argument right then. So she said, well, I don't know how to deal with that, Dad. What do I do? I said, you send the other girl a text and say, hey, there's more to the story than what she was telling you. There's a little more to it than that. And the Bible says you can know for sure. Why don't you come to church with me Sunday? Right? And hear about it. And I said, then when you get together, you can talk to her and you can show her some Bible verses. That's what she did. And the girl said, yeah, I'd be glad to go to church with you. See how it works? How to live for the Lord at work. Live a holy life. Obey your boss. Submit to authorities. Speak evil of no man. Some thoughts and comments you got to keep to yourself. And don't argue about doctrinal differences in public with people at work. Because that puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth when they hear that. Living out Bible doctrine will convince others that the Bible is true quicker than any argument you could ever make. Isn't that right? You know what? We just need to learn the Bible and then do the best we can at living it out in everyday life. Learn it and live it. Live what you learn. Isn't that true? It's the best way to show others what God is doing in your life. The folks over at Living Waters, I kind of like to hear and share some of what they are doing. And they always encourage people, read the Bible and obey what you read. I think, man, that's good advice. That's good advice. I know there's some Bible training that's needed. I know there's some things in there that don't necessarily pertain to us. I get all that, but you know, when somebody doesn't know all that, it's just good to get them started. Hey, read the Bible and obey what you read. God will lead them, right? He's the master teacher. He'll work in their heart. He'll work in their life. The first thing is they got to come to know him as Savior. And once they begin that relationship, the living for him journey will begin, and God will be able to guide them. Let's be an example of that. Let's show the love of Christ. Let's live for the Lord at work. And try to show people what God's done in our life as we live what we learn. You do that and you'll be amazed at how God will work through your testimony to touch the hearts and lives of other people in ways that maybe you never even thought of. God's just good like that. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, we want to be used of God. We want to be examples. We need a whole lot of help. We ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide. Go with us throughout the days. Speak to our hearts. Give us guidance.
Show us what to do, what not to do. Help us to be ever listening to your still small voice. Lord, that we might know what you'd have us do. And, and may, may the life we live please you well. We just ask you to help us do that. Help us live what we learn. And we pray as a result, your name would be glorified. Other people would be attracted to the gospel and would follow Christ as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.